Hello and welcome to Brainsteep. I'm your host, Corey Schmidt. Here we nerd out over tea and discuss a full range of topics while sipping our steep. We believe tea is a great medium for contemplation. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of your favorite leaf water, and enjoy. Welcome, listeners. If you're a first-time listener, well, welcome to Brain Steep. If you've heard a few of our casts, welcome back. I'm your host, Corey Schmidt, enjoying some sencha today, some ice-cold sencha. Eh, it's okay. It, the ice pretty much has melted in the cup, but it's quite cold sencha. The last of one of the many, many green teas that I purchased uh, last year, uh, 2020 crop, and just about through it all, I um, made a second purchase. This is from youknowme.life. Uh, check that site out. They have some awesome green teas. Uh, pretty much the place to go, at least for me going forward if I'm in the market for some green tea from Japan just because they have so such a variety from all these different farms around Japan instead of you buying from you know a specific company that only has like a selection that they chose um so yeah enjoying the sencha um what I was going to say is that I actually purchased a second order from them because I love uh, karigane cha, which is a type of Japanese green tea, um, and I can't get enough of it. So I went through the first, I think two. Wait, I think I think when I purchased my order last year, I got two two hundred gram bags. Maybe I only got one one bag of the first first go, but at the end of the day, I think I've gone through, I'm on my third bag, I think, hopefully it's not my fourth bag, <laughs> of 200 grams of this stuff. It's just so good. Uh, and this year, I'm hoping to purchase a couple more bags. It may just be my, my like, go-to tea, my daily drinker uh, for green tea. Um, you know, I do plan to go back to the youknowme.life site this year. I think pretty much, what is it? It is May 5th today. Um, if not half, if not more than half of, of the teas that they probably are gathering from all the different farmers are up on the site, whether they are ready to ship or soon to be ready. Um, I would think around this time is the time to get on there and, and take a look. I probably will in the next week. Um, because, you know, the harvest time for Japan tea is a little later from China. I mean, I think in China they probably started picking this year maybe um, as early as late February, um, probably more March. But uh, Japan, really, it's April, May, uh, as from, from what I understand. And... Um, yeah, so some some of the fields have probably not even been picked yet. Anyway, uh, definitely plan to still buy maybe a handful of different teas from them. Try some stuff I haven't tried before, but 
for for just my daily tea like i'm fairly kind of zoned in on karigane being my tea of choice when it comes to green um more recently i made my first purchase from a site called white two tea so white and then the the number two and then tea uh dot com i think um and I'm very excited to get that order in. Um, if you've not gone to that site, check them out. They, funnily enough, they sell every kind of tea. So black, oolong, lots of pores, white teas, except green. They don't deal with green. Now, I don't think I saw anything on the site describing why they don't sell green tea. But the interesting kind of attribute I've noticed on the site is that most of the tea they sell is compressed. They compress a lot of their tea. Like I'd say most of the tea on there is compressed, whether it's white, poor, black. Um, I wasn't looking much at the oolongs, but I'm going to guess a lot of their oolongs are probably compressed too, which I just find interesting. And um, the, the marketing on the site is kind of cool. Definitely check the site out if you haven't yet. Um, I think if I enjoy a lot of the teas that I purchased this order, um, they have a tea club and I think I'm going to probably join the tea club. Uh, I think it's like 30 bucks a month, which isn't unreasonable for, I think how much they'll probably send you per month. Of course it's coming from China and with the current status of the world, like, I have um, one other order, both this white to tea order and the other order coming from Farm Relief uh, are both coming from China. And I'm not sure about you guys, but um, I've noticed some major delays in um, international shipping. And uh, so not, not all contribute, you know, not all coming from the evergreen getting stuck in the canal. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm excited for some of those teas coming in. Um, a lot of, uh, what, what did I order? I ordered quite a selection from white tea. Um, I think I ordered one or two different white teas, some pours, uh, a lot of different black teas. So looking forward to that. I think every one that I ordered though was actually from last year or previous years, you know, being pours, sometimes you're, you're purchasing, um, a pour that is one, two, three, four years old. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to some of those teas coming in and, uh, looking forward to looking through, um, the 2021 selection of, um, Japanese green teas. Apart from that, uh, I guess in tea news for myself, I, um, got to take my tea set up to my aunt, uncle and, um, my aunt and uncle's house and, uh, have some tea with them and and my cousin, which was nice. Um, I love, you know, introducing tea to people and, and, uh, bringing them into the fray, as I say. And, uh, yeah, got to, got to do that, which is nice. Use my, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. If I haven't, well, here we go. Um, I, not recently, and, you know, since the pandemic, of course, 
Uh, I used to travel quite a bit. I'd go to a lot of different locations, a lot of different co-working spaces. And I got it in my mind to kind of go into the public sort of um, break slash snack slash kind of um, eating area that a lot of co-working spaces have, kind of a communal space basically, right, where they might have snacks and and drink machines and coffee and stuff like that with plenty of tables and stuff around and i would sit with my tea set which i was slowly building up to like i was getting a tray i was getting a you know a a nice you know fairly small uh tea pot or you know even a guy one kind of getting these pieces together to sit there in the co-working space Kind of, kind of advertise, maybe touch base with the um, receptionist of the day and say, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna be sitting in there. If you want to tweet it, you know, because a lot of these co-working spaces are trying to, you know, use social media, try to get get their um, their clients active and and have uh, events and activities for them. So they'd usually always be on board. They'd always find it very intriguing. Of course, like what this guy's gonna sit here." <laughs> drink tea and brew and you know have people come by if they're if they're willing but uh i just found that to be a really kind of uh yeah i don't want to say out there but just sort of not your typical way of socializing of trying to you know just see how people react so i was slowly gathering all of these pieces to kind of do this and in San Diego, which was actually the last place I was at before the pandemic hit, I was carrying all of this equipment, all the tea brewing equipment and, you know, my tea tins and stuff to the co-working space in a backpack. Um, oh, no, let me let me let me retract that. This actually happened. The story that I want to tell you happened in Portland, which was where I was prior to San Diego. And so I, I was doing the same thing, going to the co-working space. And occasionally I wanted to set up my tea, my teaware and, you know, try to get some people to drink tea with me. And I, I had all my stuff in my backpack. I got to the co-working space, started to unpack. And of course, one of the breakable pieces in my kit, uh, it was like a tea, um, little like kind of, kind of a tea leaf, uh, bowl that you would put your tea leaves in to look at and then use that to put into the tea, tea, um, vessel you know whether it's gaiwan or teapot and you know slipped out of my hand hit the floor broke into a whole bunch of pieces and uh you know i was like well that's not cool and it just always felt like i was on the edge of breaking things just randomly trying to get them packed into my backpack and and walk to the co-working space so i took that as my my clue that i needed to find a new solution so in san diego um, when I started to want to go to the co-working space and do the same thing, I thought, okay, I can't keep doing this backpack thing. So I came up with the idea of getting a, what a lot of people call, and I, I guess they call it because there is the brand, a Pelican case. So a Pelican case is essentially, it's a hard shell, um, carrying case. It's a hard shell luggage case luggage case, excuse me. And so I was looking around and I found tactical cases. So think of a tactical case as sort of a 
you know, very there's various sizes. There's very small, um, almost you know, briefcase size, all the way up to the large piece of luggage size. Um, but what's the what the difference is with a tactical case is essentially it's that hard, um, that hard plastic outer shell. You usually have some latches and ability to put like a lock on onto onto the case to keep it secure. Inside though, when you open it, are these different layers of perforated foam. And so when you purchase one of these cases, it's full of, uh, you know, again, depending on the size and make model and all this, you get these different layers of foam. So the whole case is just filled with foam. What you do is you decide what you're going to put into the case. And again, for these tactical cases, most of the time, it's guns, right? These people are buying these tactical cases to, to, to hold their ammunition and, and firearms. Um, but you, you figure out where you want to place your items and you tear out a section of the foam via the perforations um, to perfectly fit. You know, perfectly is a little, little bit more than what... I mean, it's to fit roughly. <laughs> perfectly not, roughly to roughly fit your um, items. So I, I just kind of came up with this idea. I found a good case for a reasonable price because these things can be ridiculously expensive. So a very reasonably, reasonably priced one. Got it, um, started you know figuring out how to get all my stuff in my tea tray, my um, tea cups. I got a little tea pet. Um, my T10s. So I have 12 um, identical square tins that I use to place tea in um, for this specific case because I didn't want to get a giant case. Um, I found that being reasonable with it, I could fit six of the 12 into the case, in the, into the bottom portion. So I got it all set up and it sort of, it, again, it's been evolving as well as I've added pieces to my collection. So I just recently got a Gaiwan, um, um, got a, got a, that Kyusu I've mentioned on previous episodes, uh, got the Kyusu and I've gotten a nice, I really am loving, like I'm filling this thing out. Uh, the last thing I need is to, to find a place to put this Gaiwan um, and I think I'll have basically used up, I'd say, 90% of the uh, space available to me. And I pretty much have everything in there. Um, I have like a tea scoop. I have my a little cutout for my little um, uh, scale. <laughs> trying to say scale. My little scale to measure out my tea leaves. And uh, my tea tray and all the all the stuff. So um, that is how I carry my my tea kit. I like to call it uh, my tea wares, so that uh, I don't break things anymore. And it's all together, all all fairly compact. You know, I mean, it's a decent sized uh, kind of kind of piece of luggage essentially. But my hope is, you know, uh, next time I go flying, uh, I'll, I, I'm gonna be a little reluctant, of course, because it's my entire set of teaware. But I would like to be able to hand that off to luggage collection at the airport and have them 
you know, even be, even if they throw it around, right? Like the, the, all the foam is in there. When you close the case, everything's nut nestled into foam. And I've, you know, I've messed with it enough to see like, does anything shift out of place? Would, would anything hit really hard against anything in there that it would break? Um, when somebody throws that case and I've not, I've not, I, 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 I feel fairly confident that it could sustain some, some pretty rough manipulation, um, <laughs> uh, and be okay. So that would be the ultimate test is, um, take that, hand it off at the airport, get it at the, at the luggage, um, collection area and see if everything is still intact. That'll be the day that I'll be like, hell, I'll either be like, hell yeah, done. Or I'll be very sad because my little teapot will break or something. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's sort of my, uh, little, yeah, it, it, it always, I always love bringing that out too. Cause it, it is, it is a very, it looks like you have, you know, armaments when you bring this case out, because it, it is, it's a tactical case, but then you open it up and you have, I, I actually am quite afraid actually taking it into an airport because they're, they're pr probably going to scan it and they're going to see that there's organics. There are six, you know, there's six squares with, you know, organics inside each square at the bottom of this case. Right. And then they, op you know, they're going to open it probably you know and they're probably gonna that's oh man that that'll be rough because they're probably gonna open it and try to take everything out and then they're not gonna be able to get it all back in properly oh man why why are people mad that they can't fly <laughs> flying is a hassle um yeah okay let's let's jump in i've i've spent enough time just jabbering on about uh my T tactical case, my tactical T case. What I wanted to bring up a few topics today. I wanted to bring up um, one one idea, and I, again, this is not revolutionary by any means, but something that I definitely think should bring out the pessimist in all of us. Um, I recently was listening to sort of like a quote, quote unquote special podcast from Sam Harris on his, uh, on his podcast, um, making sense. He had a guest on and I guess I'll have to search now cause I don't want to not give you guys this, this guy's name. Um, had this guest on. And the primary purpose was to bring up the the idea that in the future, and not too far into the future, um, the probability, if we take no action, again, if we take no action, if we just kind of stay the course, the probability that a an, an engineered virus could be the next pandemic. Um, and again, an engineered virus that is specifically meant to be, you know, very contagious, very deadly, um, is pretty, again, the way in which they discuss this topic, it's pretty much on the horizon. And 
when you kind of dive deep into the subject, and again, listening to their podcast, um, you, you're you given quite a bit of information. It's actually an insanely long podcast. It's like four hours or something, which maybe don't listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but if it's extremely fascinating to you, go for it. Um, basically, the I, I like to use, and I think they use this phrase in the podcast, the, the democratization of biological technology. Um, and, and I'm hopefully a number of you are, are, you're very familiar with the, the technology of CRISPR in biology and our, our, our ability more and more to be able to manipulate, um, biology at a genetic level, um, at, at a singular cellular level, and then obviously being able to, um, affect multicellular organisms such as ourselves. Um, and the technology is just getting more and more easy to access. Um, and the potential really is there. It, it's, it's something that I think, you know, pandemics and a, a, a biological, um, a biological existential threat has always been within that, you know, has, has always been talked about, you know, when it comes to existential threats, something biological definitely has always, always been on, on the table. Um, but often a lot of people think, oh, you know, it, it might be a natural virus that, that happens to jump to the human population from another species, similar to what the current theory is for COVID. Um, but the idea that it can be engineered, um, probably not from whole cloth. I, I don't think anytime soon someone will be able to just put molecules together to build a virus from scratch, but modifying an existing virus that, you know, may be pretty, pretty benign um, in its current form, but can be engineered to be very, very contagious, very, very deadly. Again, their whole point and what I want to kind of bring up here is the inevitability of this um, in, in how technology goes forward and how just more and more available these things become. A, a, good, um, a good example, I think, in, in this area of kind of democratizing technology is the printer and the ability for now 3D printing um, to be done by really anyone. Now, there's a lot of, of things wrong with, with 3D printing today. A lot of, when I say that, I, I mean a lot of problems to be worked out. Um, so, you know... You could always you could always try to argue, yeah, you know these things are coming out. Yeah, you can you can say buy a three D printer, but it you get to make little knickknack you know plastic things that aren't actually useful. Um, there's a lot happening in that space where a lot of people would completely disagree with you, um, and a lot of printers are able to make very useful and um, you know very very strong usable pieces uh um you know whether it's to repair a device or to 
make make an entirely new device. Um, so I think it's just something to be aware of, and it is. I guess when I think about it, I'm it, it does bring out some pessimism because um, their their entire point was. It only takes an extremist, and it really can only take a single extremist with this kind of technology. Let's let, let's just kind of paint a quick picture in that maybe, say, 10 years from now, the ability to engineer a very deadly contagious virus is democratized to such a degree that, you know, if you have the knowledge and the the gumption, I'll use the word gumption, to to take it upon yourself to, to engineer these things, right? It's it's available to anyone with those attributes. Um, you know, let's say, yeah, tw- 10 years from now, so thir- 2031. Let's say 2031, if you want to do it and you are determined enough the resources are there and available for you to to pull this off. And the point they make is that, yes, while 99.9% of people would not even consider doing this, it only takes one out of, I mean, there's, you know, going on 8 billion of us in the world. Um, it really only takes one extremist. And considering today um, how many individuals go full on in their extremist views and kill people with the means that they have access to, um, you know, of course, I'm referring to mass shootings in the U.S. Um, It really only gives that type of mindset, which luckily is very rare. But when it occurs, it can be very detrimental to uh, a lot of people. Um, and luckily, again, the means to which these people have to, to, to take, take the actions they, they want are just guns, you know, um, maybe, you know, again, explosives often. So they can do a lot of damage, but it's quite local um, and they can't really... Uh, affect mass, mass amounts of people, um, uh, maybe remote, you know, in, in remote locations. With this technology, if someone has a, an extreme view in which they want to decimate the human population, the technology may be available and um, usable by this by these type of people so again i'm probably not promising it all that great but do listen to the podcast if you're interested in this my point being it's another existential threat to be aware of and i really do agree with many of the points that they that they make in that we we seriously need a good chunk of people to be looking into this assessing risks deciding what types of policies we need to uh, um, enact or apply to society to decrease the chance that this occurs. So 
we may not be able to stop an individual from committing the act of creating a, a an engineered virus, but with the right system in place, we can greatly reduce the effect that they have. So maybe, you know, kind of um, a way to say it might be that they they get so far and we stop them, right? We they may they may be able to start it, but we can stop it before it becomes a truly global catastrophe. Um, and I don't use those words lightly. I mean a, a truly global catastrophe, um, apocalyptic, right? So something to think of again. I find existential threats to be something. Um, extremely fascinating in that almost no one uh, does nor wants to put much thought into these topics or um, think about them. They feel very, very um, just unattainable, right? In terms of what do you do? You know, you know, like what's the point in thinking about that? If it happens, it happens kind of a mental attitude. Um, but I really find, and again, it's not a paradox, but I just find it fascinating that our (laughs) collective, and I do mean collective because there are definitely individuals and, you know, all the power to them that, that clearly, you know, uh, the, the man that, uh, Sam was, Sam was talking to is, uh, Rob Reed. I got to the page and saw the name and it's taken me many, many minutes now into the podcast for for me to tell you the man's name, Rob Reed. Um, but I just find it hilarious that, uh, the, the topics, the, the, the ideas that are the most literally existential threats. These are the words that we use to describe that this kind of category of idea, um, existential threats. We, we need, these are literally the topics we need to spend probably the most effort toward both in time thinking about um money uh resources because they literally (laughs) because they are like it's in the words existential threat (laughs) threat to existence (laughs) um if you want to continue to exist perhaps you may want to spend some time thinking about these threats to that existence um and yet we're, we're, we're so, we're so, uh, off in another, oh shit, just got some tea on my keyboard, got tea on my keyboard, um, we're, we're off thinking about other things, you know, I just find that funny, if you can't laugh about it, I mean, gotta get something out of it, right, um, What other topic did I have here? Um, yeah, let me bring up these other two. I think I can get through these two. So the other, the the other more kind of um, deepish topic that I wanted to bring up is the question of what drives people. What drives you? And I may have b- briefly touched on this before, but. It's a question that I have very much been focused on over the last good period of time. 
in that I notice for myself um, a lack of drive uh, for many things. And I think we all, I think, I think if we're all assessing ourselves and the, the things we wish we could do, the things that we want to do, um, perhaps the things that we wish we would do less of or not want to do, um, everyone has a different level of drive of, um, ability associated with those things and you know i i was just trying to think okay how can we distill this down to sort of a very rudimentary kind of base base reason for why you have a drive for this but not for this or you know why is it that one person can um focus on, you know, X and achieve Y and you are over here, you know, focused on A and can't achieve B, you know, or something like that. In that, um, you know, everybody has a very different set of skills, of interests, of um, ability and you, you really can't, the, you know, the, the, the difference between what you can change and what you can't is very murky. But what I kind of came to the conclusion I had is, and again, nothing revolutionary here. It's just something, um, that I think is really kind of very basic really when you think about it, but you can distill all of that down to the idea that you're going to have a drive, you're going to want to do something, and, and you're going to actually do it only if you have a need to obtain a better state than what you currently are in. So that's when you really just kind of distill it down to, to the very basic idea behind all of this. If you have a need to change your state... You know, whether that's a mental state, a physical state, your physical location, whatever your current state is in. You know, I, my mouth is dry. I need a drink of water. You're going to, you're going, that's where your mind is going to focus. It's going to sharpen in on that, on that need. If you have a drink near you, like I have some sencha here, I'm going to reach for that drink, right? I'm not going to not reach for the drink when my mouth is dry. Now, maybe I override that sensation for whatever other reason maybe there's some drive for me to feel the sensation of a dry throat right and then i won't reach for the drink but if that is not there the drive to have or you know to to, to wet my whistle <laughs> what is that phrase wet 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 your whistle um i'm gonna take a drink of my tea so Again, really, you can you can distill you can you can take every single action that you take down to changing your current state. And I think this is a useful way to view yourself and view others as well in that everyone has a different 
view in terms of what their current state is and what state they would like to be in. And we're all sort of slaves to that to that drive. You know, you can't decide that the state you're in is totally fine. I mean, you again, I guess meditation-wise, you could you could sit there and think, well, you know, my my arm is bleeding, but that's fine. I'm okay with that. You know, my my this current state is the state I would like to be in. <laughs> um, you know, you can always go down that line of thought, but generally speaking, um, you don't really have control over over your need or or not need to change your state, right? So, and and I, I mean, I go from the most basics all the way. I mean, you can you can really build yourself up to the to the more abstract life goals, long term goal type things. But you start with these more basic things. You know, oh, you know, I have my current state is hunger. I feel feel hungry. What do you do to enter a state that you want to enter into that is better than hunger? Right. Well you go eat. Um, if there is another state where it's like, so, oh, well, I'm going to fast for two to three days or something like that, right? Well, here now we have a crossroads, right? You feel the hunger and you could eat to enter a state of satiation and that may be a state that you drive toward. But another portion of your brain, another part of you, its goal is different. And it's actually exactly opposite to that state. And so you have a little bit of fight infighting, right, in your brain where you have to, you know, really you're observing. You're observing this this um, conundrum occurring in your brain. And uh, one will win out, right? One will win out. You'll enter into that new state and that will be uh, what, what you end up in. Uh, and then whatever occurs next, right? Then if if you're still not satisfied with that current state, which that is sort of the constant churn of life, right? You enter into a new state, you're satisfied. Oh, no, okay, now I need to do this to enter into my new state. Um, and I think this can be useful or helpful also to understand why you have certain individuals in in life that are go-getters, right? They're go-getters, they're constantly working, they constantly are looking to achieve these goals, these actions, they're, you know, they're, these are the, um, you know, sometimes we'll say they are workaholics or or not even workaholics, but maybe others that where you just observe that they're very, very um, driven, right? Well, you could look at that and say that's an individual in which they have an extreme need to obtain a new state. Uh, their 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 drive is coming from this need to enter into a new state that is not their current state. On the other on the other side of the spectrum, um, there are individuals where that need is not very strong, 
to enter into a new state. So the current state is sufficient. It works. And they do not have that drive to enter into a new state. I know I, I'm, I know I'm kind of sounding very abstract, but I hope, hopefully I'm getting this point across. And yeah, I think it's useful to both see other individuals in the world when you come across them and you are kind of understanding their situation. And it's also useful for yourself. Um, you know, I, I personally, um, because of, I think, a lot of meditation and I've, you know, taken psychedelics and things like this and kind of assessed how I perceive the world. There is a lack of need to change my state that I think other individuals have a great abundance of. And, you know, that's something, again, depending on how you view yourself and where you want to be, um, can be detrimental or it can be very um, beneficial. Um, for me, there is a part of me that is wanting to change state, but I'd say the majority of me... Um, current state is sufficient. So there's that infighting again. There's that constant sort of bickering in, in your brain. And um, I think the, you know, <laughs> the human condition is, uh, that's a big part of it. The human condition is a big part of, you know, what I'm just, just trying to describe here. I know I'm probably, <laughs> probably botching it pretty good here, but... <laughs> That's what I wanted to chat about. Last topic, a little light, more lighthearted. If you listen to audio audiobooks, if you're an audiobook, if you're an audiobooker, I'm going to call them. Are you actually reading books? Are you actually reading a book if you're if you're consuming it via your ears? I think not. I think not. So, um, that's my opinion. Definitely something to, de to debate, I guess. But if you consume a book via audio, in my opinion, you haven't read the book. You've consumed the book. You have acquired information from the book. And it's directly from, from that content, right? It's direct source. But you didn't read it. I, th I mean, I think it, we, we got to use our our words very, very specifically in that reading requires your eyes. Although, you know, I guess um, for someone blind using, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on, uh, uh, why, why can't I remember this? Um, um, what am I trying to think of? It's got to be here. Braille. <laughs> Couldn't think of the word. Braille. Yeah. If you use Braille, I definitely, st I will agree, Braille is reading. Braille is reading. So, so let me retract that you have to use your eyes. You don't have to use your eyes. But I think reading requires you to process 
the information. Boy, that's actually, yeah, bringing Braille into the equation. I've just kind of botched my whole argument here, bringing Braille into the into the equation. Because, I, I, well, I'd have to think about it a little bit more now. But my point is, <laughs> if you... If you're in a conversation and someone says, hey, have you read blank, 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 blank? Have you, have you read this book? And you listened to it. Don't say, yeah, I read it. Say, yeah, I, I listened to that on Audible. Or, you know, I, lis- I listened to the audiobook Because you didn't read it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm on, on a soapbox up here saying, if you're listening to your books, you're not reading them. Okay, and I'm not saying I'm not calling you out like, oh, you got to read them. Hey, whatever, whatever works for you. If listening to them makes you read, you know, quote unquote, read more again, you're not reading actually. But if it if that's how you want to consume that piece of information, go for it. All power to you. But you're not reading. (laughs) Okay, that's my last. uh, that's my last thought for today. So, um, hopefully you guys are enjoying some good tea. Uh, looking forward to, for, to 2021 tea. If you haven't already gotten an order and drinking it now and, um, go out there and read a book or listen to it. I don't know. 